Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. Lord we pray for Trey and pray that we all take what he says into our hearts. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Sean everybody. Thank you buddy. Woo. All right, Summer Madness, how you doing? Are you still alive? Yes, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm pretty tired myself. I uh, went home on a Saturday night after I was with you guys and then preached at my home church and then led worship on Sunday night and, um, and then came back last night to just enter this tent and get to be here in the midst of what an incredible moment, wasn't that? That was a powerful moment. And um, it was really powerful for me as well. I've known Rachel since she was about 17 or 18 years old. And you know what she reminds me of is she reminds me of guys like you, people who just decide one day I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other, following Jesus and listening to his dreams. And now I'm getting to see that years on in her life and just see the way God's using her and see the way that so many young people from around that time God's using around the world. And I'm here today to say that God is so for you. God is so for you. And this today, this is not the end. This is the beginning. This is not where we stop. This is actually where we start. The best part of Summer Madness is that we now take what God has done with us here in the tent and we take it outside the tent back to the streets where the gospel was always meant to be. Do you hear me? (laughs) That loud amen over there. I'm also really pleased this morning. I have my wife here with me. Where is she? Miss Tori. She's awesome. She's not as old as me. It's not true. She's a year younger. She just looks a lot younger than me, if you know what I mean. Mm. So this morning, for our final session, are you, are you done? Are you still ready to rock? Do you have anything left in you? All right, because here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do this morning, okay? I'm going to tell you a story. Then I'm going to tell you some more stories. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a chance. If you have not yet responded to Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you a chance to come to Jesus this morning if you haven't yet. All right, because I want you to have time to start thinking about it. Because some of you all weekend have been going, I think this is it for me, and you've been waiting. I'm going to warn you right now, you're going to get a chance here to come to Jesus. And I'm going to give you a chance to come back to Jesus if you've been on the fringes for a while and you're like, I'm ready to come back. That's coming up later. But I want you to be ready for it now, okay? And then here's what I want to talk to you about right now. You ready? How to change the world, part one and part two. Okay? We started with the beginning of the world and everything else, and we're going to wrap up on how to change the world, part one and part two. But first, I want to tell you a story about my dad. Um, Now, those of you, who was here, who was from the hatch last night? Anyone here? Yes. Six people. We had a cool time, didn't we? It was like a very small gathering, just us having coffee and chatting, really. But anyway, I want to tell you a story about my dad. Now, my dad is a preacher and a farmer, and uh, my dad is an insane person. That's the only other way I can explain it. And I grew up with my dad preaching, and my dad, I come from the Baptist tradition, so I grew up Baptist. So we were like, you know, suits and boots and choirs and organ and robes and all that sort of thing, okay? Very, very, very chilled, very chilled. We did not clap in church. 
We had an old man named Mr. Wilson who sat on the back row, and if something really exciting happened, Mr. Wilson would go, amen, and we'd all be like, you know. So Mr. Wilson would have come into the tent during worship and just died, you know what I mean? So I grew up in a very traditional kind of thing, and my dad was an incredible preacher. He still is an incredible preacher. My dad's like 70-something years old. He's old, he's old, he's really, really old, older than the mountains, okay? And my dad is still at the same time this farmer, and so I got to every Sunday see my dad standing up in his suit preaching with such authority. But I also knew the other side of dad, the farmer side of dad, the side that came home and decided we're going to do some work on the farm. And my dad would put on these cut-off blue jeans and pull up these long white socks to his knees and put on these work boots and an old T-shirt that used to say, Praise the Lord, but letters had fallen off. And so after years, it just said, Raise he low. <laughs> That's completely true. And my dad was like, never wanted to pay anyone to do anything. So from like the age of two, almost directly out of my crib, my dad was like, get a chainsaw, boy. We got some work to do. I have so many crazy stories of my dad. My dad got struck by lightning. My dad electrocuted me numerous times. My dad mowed over a hornet's nest. My, my dad has done things that no other human could do and survive from. But I want to tell you one important story about my dad. My dad and I used to do this thing that my dad called clearing the land. It was like an episode of Little House on the Prairie at my house every week where my dad would just go out and decide, we need some more acreage, boy. Get the chainsaw and some matches. And we'd be like, boom, boom, and then we would build a huge pile of wood and trash and things that we'd gathered out on our farm. And sometimes we'd leave it for a week or two. And I remember one summer, I was probably about eight or nine years old. My dad built what was going to be the biggest fire yet. We stacked up stuff for days and days and days. And I kept saying things like, hey, dad, are we going to burn it yet? Because what my voice sounded like when I was a kid. Actually, it's probably more like this. Hey, dad, we're going to burn that fire? Because I grew up real country, all right? I mean, like, I am a hillbilly. But anyway, so we stacked a giant thing up, and then my dad was like, boy, it's time to burn this. And I was excited because fire, right? I mean, if you can combine chores and fire, put those two things together. You know what I'm talking about, all right? So my dad was like, and then my dad said these amazing words. Now, you know where I grew up, we don't call it petrol. We call it gas, right? Gasoline. My dad said this to me. It's a hot, dry day. And this, I mean, literally from the ground, it was probably this high. And my dad went, son, go get some gas. And I was like, yes, Papa. <laughs> and I went and I got it. And my dad and I started pouring gas on that wood. And we loaded up the gas, five gallons. It wasn't wise, but it's what we did. This is, okay, right now, there's a health and safety officer somewhere frantically calling the council. Get down here! <laughs> Get the police! We put so much gasoline on it, and then we stood next to that fire. And I'm looking up at my dad. My dad's got a box of matches, and he's like, you ready? And I'm like, I'm ready, Dad. And my dad took a match. He flicked it. He threw it onto the fire for just a moment. Just this Silence. And then, whoosh, and a fireball, I'm not making this up, rose in the sky. The blast was so powerful, it knocked the little eight-year-old me off my feet, onto my back, on the ground, where all I could see was my dad silhouetted against the flames going, <laughs> My eyebrows have grown back pretty well. This is a wig, but it looks real. That's good. 
I had never experienced fire like that. It, it was unbelievable. Dad and I realized that we had a problem. And we were like, I mean, I'm like an eight-year-old. My dad's like, get a jacket, boy. So I had a jacket on. Like, we're trying to fight it back. It was out of control. It was, the war. it was unbelievable, the heat. It was incredible. The flames were everywhere. And so we were out with rakes trying to keep it in control and all this stuff. And it burned, and it burned, and it burned. The first night, my dad had to stay up during the night to keep it from burning the rest of our forest down. It was out of control. The next night, and my dad was finally like, I think the fire's out, boy. My mother was like, Glenn, I see flames flickering. My mother, my dad's down there just with a rake, whatever. It burned for three days, three solid days. It was the biggest fire I'd ever seen. You couldn't get near it. But I want to tell you something. Now, if you go to the old farm where I grew up, 3322 Irwin Bridge Road, Conyers, Georgia, in the deep south, you can go right now, right there to that place where we had that giant fire. And you could take a little baby and you could lay it on the grass that has grown. It's a completely safe place now. That fire that was so dangerous that I couldn't even get near it. That fire that was so big that it knocked me off my feet. That fire that was so big that it literally did burn off part of one of my eyebrows completely. That fire that, that was bigger than anything I could imagine, the heat that was put off of it now is gone and you know why? Because we let the fire go out. And here's the deal. Things like summer madness are amazing. It's like a bonfire time, and I don't mean that kind of bonfire. <laughs> First time I spoke here 14 years ago, I didn't know about bonfires. And I kept talking about bonfires, and afterwards people were like, don't mention the bonfires, you know? <laughs> Steady. It's okay. It's not a deeper meaning. It's exactly what I mean, okay? But a time like this is like a time when we gather together and we build this mighty thing and we put gasoline on it, petrol on it, we light it up, and we're all fired up. But the problem is it means nothing if we don't keep feeding that fire when we leave these gates today. All the shouts and worship and all that stuff in here, it's just us making noise in a tent unless something is so transformed in our lives that we carry a fire that we guard and we feed day after day so that our nation can be lit up with hope and with life again. Or it's just a bunch of Christians singing songs in a big stinky tent. Okay? And I don't mean, listen, this tent is awesome. It's just that after a few days in here, I don't know about y'all, but woo, you know what I'm saying? And here's the thing, what I want to say to you is this, is that this nation needs you and me to carry a fire. Not just to be lit up for a moment in a big meeting, but to carry a fire. To carry a fire. And that's why I want to talk to you this morning about how to change the world, parts one and two. Here we go, part one first. Do you know that in the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, that in a single generation, a bunch of crazy young people changed all of Asia Minor. There were 120 of them gathered there in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell. And that little people movement, that little people movement, that had been following around this revolutionary carpenter king who was nailed naked to a cross, who, who gave his life and then was miraculously resurrected. That little group of people, when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, transformed Asia Minor in their lifetime without planes, iPhones, without graphics, without a single worship band from what I can understand. Do you understand me? 
There's so much more than 120 of us here in this tent today. What would happen in our nation if we actually carried the fire out of this place and kept it alight and began to live lives that transformed the lives of our neighbors and our friends? What if when Jesus said love your neighbors, he meant love your actual neighbors, not just the people at church that you don't like? What if Jesus meant that we actually love the people at our schools? What if Jesus really meant what he said when he said love your enemies? Because it has the power to transform the world and we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here are the sort of people that Jesus used to change the world. I just want to tell you about three of them. Here's the first one. This is one of my favorite people in the scriptures. A woman called Mary. Mary the Magdalene. Mary was a woman who had a rough reputation. She wasn't a prostitute as some people have thought over the years. She wasn't. But she was a woman who had been possessed by seven demons. Now one demon is bad, right? Seven demons, you got a real problem, right? She was a woman who had been tortured by those things in her life. And yet Jesus made her free. She was set free by Jesus, and she began to be one of the people that followed around Jesus and the disciples. Her name was always first in the list of the other people that followed Jesus and the disciples. She began to pour out her life for that. And we started on the first day, Saturday morning, we started in the first garden, the garden of creation. But this morning, I want to think about that moment in the garden of the resurrection, where when the disciples, all the boys, by the way, were hiding, you know who wasn't hiding? Mary. Because when you've been set free from so much, even when all looks lost, you will still reach for the hope that you found that you know to be true. And she was in there in the garden trying to find the body of Jesus when suddenly she has this encounter with who she thinks is a gardener. And then she hears him. She says to this person she thinks is the gardener, where have you taken my Lord? Where have you taken him? And then the, the gardener that she thinks is the gardener says these words, Mary. And she looks up and realizes it's the risen Jesus. And then Mary Magdalene, she had a bad past. She had a bad story. She had a broken past. But she has a new future because Jesus sends her. And in that moment when he calls her name, she recognizes his voice. And then Mary Magdalene, a woman who had seven demons, been so freed by Jesus, Mary Magdalene becomes the very first preacher of the resurrected Jesus. Girls, hear me today. When you speak out the truth of Jesus, you're joining a tradition that women begin. You women were the first preachers of the resurrected Jesus. Hear me. She went right back and told the boys, I mean, he's alive. They, they, were, they were like, yeah, okay, you had seven demons before. We're not really trusting this. You know, and then Peter and John go over. It's a brilliant story. They say they're running, and I love it because John, who's writing the story, says, and then I ran on ahead. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. But this is the kind of people that Jesus used. Another one, Thomas. Thomas was a guy who started out so well. He started out so firm, so ready to rock. There's a scene where Jesus is talking about going back in towards Jerusalem. And the disciples start to go, Jesus, don't do that. This is right before Lazarus is raised from the dead. You can check it out later. When you read the Bible, and you should read the Bible. In that moment, is that a quick call? 
I can't take it now. I'm a little busy. All right. In that moment there, Jesus says, let us go back to Judea. And all the other disciples are like, no, 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 they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. But one brave voice says, let us go with him. We will die there with him. You know who that voice is? Thomas. Thomas is bold. Thomas is ready to die. Thomas is ready. Thomas is fired up until the circumstances change and the unexpected happens. And he's so shaken in that moment when Jesus is crucified that his whole world crumbles. And this bold, brave Thomas becomes the one that we now call doubting Thomas. Because even though his friends, who he spent three years with, with Jesus, say to him, the Lord is alive, Jesus is alive, he says to them, oh yeah, I believe it. I believe it when I see the holes in his hand and the hole in his side, then I'll believe it. And there's this beautiful story there, you can check it out. It says Jesus appears in the room where Thomas and the other disciples. It says the disciples were gathered again in a room with all the doors locked. And at this time, Thomas was there also. And then it says Jesus appeared in the midst of them. That's obviously the best way to ever enter a room. All the doors are locked and you're just suddenly like, boo. <laughs> you're like, peace be with you. I guess what you have to say is peace be with you. Because everyone's freaking out. You know, if you appear in a room, boo. You know, peace be with you. It's okay, right? All the other disciples are like, whoa! Thomas is like, oh, this is awkward, you know, you can just imagine it. But what does Jesus do? The whole room. And he focuses on the one who's in doubt. He says, come here, Thomas. Put your hand right here. Thomas, put your hand right here. And it says, Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. And it says, then Jesus said, stop your doubting and believe. His doubts didn't disqualify him. Jesus met him in his doubt. And Christian history records that Thomas went all the way to India carrying the gospel. He gave his life for the gospel in India. And if you know, you can check it out on your phone later. But it's a long way from Jerusalem to India, even on a donkey. It's a long way. Because he, Jesus, takes people with bad pasts and seven demons and people who had a lot of doubts and used to have lots of faith but lost it all when the circumstances didn't work out. That's the kind of people he's looking for. And then finally, one more little person I want to tell you about Peter. I love Peter. Peter was probably the oldest of the disciples. Do you know that most historians and theologians are beginning to believe that the disciples were far younger than we thought? The disciples were most likely around 14 or 15. And when you read the story in that context, you begin to understand the story differently. In my growing up, I always thought the disciples were like these 35-year-old guys with big burly beards, you know? Because we've all seen the picture Bible from, you know, everybody seen the little children's Bible where Jesus is like super white and has blonde hair? Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm super Caucasian. Right? Which we know <laughs> Jesus probably looked a lot more like Osama bin Laden than he looks like me, Okay. Okay, good, good. I know everybody, it's okay. All right, it's okay. Don't tweet that because out of context, it's going to sound messed up. But Jesus didn't look like me, okay? He was a first century Jew. Is everybody okay? <laughs> you guys are like. I thought Jesus was from Fermanagh. All right. 
Just imagine, guy. Pace be with ya. I have risen, so I have. That was brilliant. Say, hey, hey, it's okay. I'm reading from the NIV, the Northern Ireland version. Okay, all right, now. Steady, 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 steady. Everybody okay? You know, the beautiful thing is, is that I imagine that when God speaks to us, it's in our own accent. I love it when my African friends talked about hearing the voice of God. And when God speaks to them, he sounds incredibly African. I'm like, yeah, he does. Because he's a big, big God. He's a big, big God. He's a big enough God to take young disciples, probably some of them, some people believe John may have been as young as 12 or 13. And Jesus went, yep, this is what I'll get to change the whole wide world. It makes a lot more sense when you think about that story. Do you remember when James and John, the sons of thunder, isn't that the best nickname ever? Do you love how Jesus always gave people nicknames? Don't you think that's cool? Like when you really love somebody, you give them a nickname. James and John, come on, thunder boys, you know. <laughs> Peter, come on, Rocky, let's go. We're going to change the world. Don't worry, it's going to work out fine. I got you. I got you. And you really did. James and John send their mother to ask Jesus a question. I've always went that, why would a 35-year-old guy have his mother? Too weird, isn't it? You know? But you can imagine like a 14 and 15-year-old couple brothers who their mother's hanging around because, you know, mom, we're going to go with this carpenter. I'm coming too. I think maybe I, I can make food. I, I'll do tea, right? Okay, you can see that, right? Okay? And there's that moment there where their mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, <laughs> I just can't even imagine it. James and John are like, ask him, go ask him. I mean, the sons of thunder, you know, that sounds like they're like, boom, boom, boom. What it probably meant is that they were hot-tempered because they were kids, and they lost their temper all the time. It's a beautiful story. And their mother goes to Jesus and says, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys sit at your left and right? And Jesus is like, okay, do you know what you're asking? And then he calls the boys up. Thunder boys, come here. And they come up, little James and John standing there, and he goes, do you know what you're asking? Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And in that moment, what he's saying is, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink of giving my life? And how do they answer? They don't take a moment and go, wow, what a powerful question. Let me think about it. They go, we can. <laughs> and the most beautiful thing in the world, the most beautiful thing in the world, Jesus looks at him and he doesn't say, you, Egypt. <laughs> he looks at him and he says, you will drink the cup I'm going to drink. Because he's been looking at 14 and 15 year olds since he created to say, you can do this with me. And they did. James gave his life first for the gospel. And John finally died in exile, the island of Patmos. They had to boil him in oil, all sorts of stuff. They couldn't kill him. That son of thunder became the one who wrote these beautiful words. Little children, let us love one another, for love is from God and is of God. Because angry young women and angry young men who meet Jesus become mothers and fathers who minister in his love across generations. 
and this is who you are. Now, Peter, back to Peter. Peter, my, I love Peter. He's the kind of disciple who I just, he reminds me so much of me. He just, in any moment when there's silence, he says, I'll say something. He opens, he literally takes one foot out of his mouth just long enough to put the other foot right in it. He is the only person in the scriptures who is interrupted by all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and told to be quiet. Alone in history, Peter stands as the only person told to be quiet by all three members of the Trinity. It is an astounding piece of history. Peter made promises that were impossible to keep. I will never betray you. I will in a few hours. But right now, I feel like I will never betray you. And then just a few hours later, aren't you with the Jesus guy? Who, me? No, no, I don't know him. They're beating his best friend. They're stripping him naked. They're forcing a crown of thorns on his head. They're whipping him. And he comes to the fire again, and they're like, hang on, I've heard that accent. You're from Fermanagh. I know who you are. It's a little different in my and he goes, no, 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 not me. I don't, I don't know him. And he sinks back into the night. And then the third time, tell the truth, they say, you're one of his followers. And this time it says Peter swears. And he calls down. He does an old Hebrew swear where you say, may the fire fall from heaven if I'm telling you a lie. He's been with Jesus for three years. And he says, May fire kill me from heaven if I'm lying. I never knew him. And at that moment, the rooster crows and Peter breaks down and weeping because he knows he's betrayed the one true thing he ever knew in Jesus. What does Jesus do with a betrayer? He makes him breakfast on a beach. We talk a lot about the Last Supper, but there's something so powerful to me about the first breakfast. Where Peter decides, I've done, I've lost it, I've missed my chance. I've blown it, I've blown it, it's over. And he decides, I'll go back fishing. And as he's fishing, he's out there in that boat. And the first time Jesus met Peter, Peter is, has his boat by the water's edge. And it says Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Peter. And all of a sudden, Peter takes him out so he can speak. And they go out to fish. And this guy says, you know, this guy that Peter's got in his boat says, have you caught anything? And Peter's like, no, and you're like a preacher. What do you know about fishing sort of vibe, you know? And he goes, put your nets on the other side. And the nets are so filled with fish. And Peter's like, whoa. And they pull him in. And Peter goes, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm an unclean man. And then Jesus says, leave your nets in those fish. We're going to fish for men from now on. And on that morning, after all the betrayals, Peter has seen Thomas reinstated. Peter is carrying the shame of that betrayal, the shame of every broken promise, the shame of everything that he promised he'd do and all the stuff that he didn't. And he's carrying that, and he's out on the water, and there's a shadowy figure standing on the beach, and that beach, and, and from the figure, from the beach, um, from the beach, the figure calls out and says, Have you caught any fish? And you must have felt like Peter would have been like, No, thank you for asking. <laughs> We've been fishing all night. I've betrayed everyone. I've got nothing left. I'm going back to what I did before. This is all I've ever known. The rest of it was a crazy dream. I was stupid to believe it. 
And then that voice says, try your nets on the other side. And Peter puts his nets on the other side, and they're filled with fish. And this time, Peter doesn't say, go away from me. Peter stands up in the boat, and it says he threw off his outer garment, and he flung himself in the water, and he swam to the shore. Because he knew that hope had returned even to a betrayer. And the rest of the guys are like, eh, Peter's swimming. Thanks, Peter. We'll take the fish in. We have no idea what happened, but I just imagine Jesus sitting there at the fire with this sopping wet disciple. And then what Jesus does is he reinstates that betrayer and he sends him out to change the world. And in a single generation, people who had seven demons, who were filled with doubts, who made promises they couldn't keep and then broke them. That's the kind of person that he uses to change the world. So today, if you're a doubter, today's your day. If you're a woman and you've been broken, Today is your day. If you made promises and you have now broken them. If you were somebody who grew up in church and you spent years going, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. And over the past three or four years, you have been one of those people who's shrunk away from the fire saying, I don't know him. And right now, in your heart, the enemy's trying to tell you you've missed your chance. In the name of Jesus, I say no, because he takes betrayers, he takes doubters, he takes the broken. And today is your day. And he calls you. He calls you in the midst of your brokenness. He calls you in the midst of your shame. And he says, I still love you. I'm not done with you. And he changes the world through little broken people like you and me. What the world is longing for is not a better Christian festival or better Christian songs, or better preaching. The world is longing for a generation of doubters and betrayers, of broken people who get transformed by the Holy Spirit and go out and bring hope into a broken nation crying out for something other than the old religious history that we've only known before. How to change the world, part one. Figure out who you are because of who he is. And decide what you're going to do because of what he has done and will do and is doing in you. The world will be more changed by every single one of you getting up and loving with the love of Jesus across every environment that you live in than it will by one more giant Christian song or one more famous preacher. The world will be more changed by this tent alone living out Jesus every day in the hard bits and the wonderful bits and the boring bits and the ordinary bits because it's when we allow his extraordinary to come into our ordinary that the world gets changed. The world needs you filled with the Holy Spirit in every area of culture and society and business and in education and in entertainment and the arts and yes, in the church and in politics and in schools and in families and in every place. But for far too long, we've tried to create Christian heroes. And here's what I want is an invitation for all the zeros. I only got one hero, okay? I'm tired of Christian heroes. Let me tell you what I'm looking for. is a bunch of zeros who recognize only one hero didn't die. There is one hero who did not die at the end. There is one hero who broke the power of death in the grave and welcomes a bunch of zeros like you and me and says, come on, I got a hero story for you. Come follow me. And the world is waiting for you to take up that cross.
how to change the world part two. You tell me, because it's your story to write. Because when you figure out who you are and whose you are, then how to change the world part two, you get to write that story with Jesus. Those pages are empty right now, waiting for you and Jesus to put the pen down and go. And then on this day. There's this incredible story in Mark 2. I just want to read it to you really quickly. I'm just coming into land here. Are you okay? You okay? We're almost there. Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. You probably heard this story before. You probably read it in your children's books. Essentially what happens is Jesus, you can go read it later, Mark 2. Jesus again enters Capernaum. People hinder, they come. They've gathered in such large numbers. There's no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some friends of a man who was paralyzed bring him to Jesus to be healed. And you probably know the story. They get there and the crowd's so big they can't get in the door. They cannot get in the door. The guy, I mean, let's call him Bob. Bob's laying on the, and Bob's all paralyzed. He's laying there and he's like, where are you taking me? You know? And they're like, don't worry, Bob, it's okay. We're going to take you to get healed. Bob's laying there, you know. They get up to the room and can't get in. And Bob's like, well, there's a big crowd. We can't get in. Take me back. And they're like, no, no, Bob, we're doing this. We're doing this. So they climb onto the roof. Can you imagine how terrifying that must have been for Bob? Bob's like, I can't hold on. <laughs> you know what I mean? They get him onto the roof. And then listen to what it says they did. This is a crazy story, people. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening a roof in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. I, what was Bob, the paralyzed guy? I don't know if his name was Bob, but that's a really common Hebrew name. So, <laughs> What was Bob doing? Guys, what are you doing? We're digging a hole, Bob. It's okay. We're getting you to Jesus, whatever it takes. How am I going down that hole? We're going to lower you. I can't hold on. It'll be fine, Bob. But can you imagine what it was like in the room? They're digging through the roof. These roofs are made with like earth and wood, and they're digging through it. Jesus is preaching, and suddenly this. I mean, if, if right now in the middle of my talk, the tent started being cut open, and a paralyzed guy got lowered down, you guys would be like, whoa, summer madness has changed. But in the middle of that, that incredible moment, Bob's getting lowered down, you know, <laughs> terrified. Look at what it says here. Friends, I, I cannot get over the scripture. It comes back to me again. And I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning, and this is what came to me. They lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw the faith of his friends, of the man's friends, he said, your sins are forgiven. Do you know what moved Jesus in that moment? Was his friends who said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to hope again. We're going to dig through the roofs, is that what it takes? And now you know what happens. The story goes on, with the, you know, the Pharisees are like, how can you say his sins are forgiven? But Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts. And then he says to them, he says, look here, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins and to heal. So he says to the man, this is in verse 10. So he said to the man, verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Bob, the paralyzed guy, same guy here, he gets up, he takes his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Two things that I want to leave you with, and then I'm going to commission you. We're going to get a chance to come to Jesus, come back to Jesus, I'm going to commission you to go into the, into the future, all right? But I want you to hear this right now. Are you listening? You listen, aren't you? I know you are. You're amazing. First one, it was their faith. The gospel's not just about you. Your friends, your neighbors, your school, they need you to be the kind of friends who say, if I have to dig a hole in the roof, I'm gonna get you to healing. I'm gonna get you to Jesus. Will you reach for the broken people and carry them to Jesus? Will you go to the fringes? Will you reach out to that kid in the school that everyone bullies and no one talks to? Will you reach out to the person who is suffering? Will you reach out to the person who is homeless? Will you reach out to the person who's addicted, who's broken? Will you reach out to the person who's just alone, suffering the great disease of the 2000, whatever we call this era, 2010s to whatever it is? The disease of being alone, will you reach to them and say, I'll carry you if that's what it takes, but I'm taking you to hope and healing that can only be found in Jesus. It's about more than just your life being transformed. It's about your transformation, carrying the life and the hope of Jesus out of this tent and back into our streets. And then finally, the last thing is this, and then we're gonna respond. Listen to that last verse. We have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this, the people said. And I woke up at five this morning, this is what I could not stop thinking about. And here in Northern Ireland and down south in the Republic of Ireland as well. Let me tell you what people have seen from religion. They've seen us at each other's throats. They've seen us preach mad, hypocritical messages sometimes. They've seen our sin uncovered on both sides of our faith, friends. What they've never seen and what they long to see is a generation of young people just like you who carry the life and the hope of Jesus into every situation. We've come so far here in Northern Ireland. We've come so far across our divides. And man, it is so wonderful that we've got our Catholic brothers and sisters and all our Protestant brothers and sisters gathered in one big tent, isn't it? But sometimes we trade one conflict for another and then we get like the Presbyterians up against the Charismatics, up against the Methodists, up against the Baptists, and everyone's like, meh, 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 meh. We raise our hands, ooh. You know, we use the Psalms, ooh. Stop all that rubbish. I don't care if you jump off the pews or if you read from a book of prayer. We follow one Jesus. And together we can go show this nation what they've never seen before, which is all of us together saying, we all worship him slightly differently, but we all worship the same Jesus. And we're here with one message. You are not beyond his love. You are not beyond hope. 
your story can still be rewritten. This is not where we end. This is where we begin. Stand up with me. We're going to respond. We're just going to be quiet for just a second. The band's going to come in a second. Just, we're just going to be quiet for a second because this is serious business. All right? First off, I told you already I was going to do this. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, if you haven't yet, this is your chance right now. We're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second. But if you have been waiting and you've been sitting on the fence going, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, and right now your heart is bumping out of your chest and you know that Jesus is calling to you right now, if that's you, right now I want you just to stick your hand straight up so I can see you. Real quick, we're not going to take long with this because I want to do some other responses, but I want to give you one more chance to come to Jesus if you have not yet followed him with your whole life. Straight up so I can see you. I see you. Hallelujah. Man, he ain't finished yet, is he? Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you back there. I see you. Anybody else? Okay, it's hard for me to see. I think there's, I see, I see you. There's three or four still. It's incredible. I'm going to ask you to do something real brave. If you had your hand up, turn to the person right next to you and say, come with me. Be super brave. I'm going to ask you to be super brave. I want you to step right out of the aisle right now and come right over here. There's some prayer team. They just want to pray with you. They're not going to do anything weird. If that's you, come right now. Don't look around. Be brave. Step right out right now. We're going to cheer you on. You don't have to go alone. There you go. Hallelujah. Come on. Yes. 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 I told you, the reason we're cheering, the reason we're cheering is just our way of saying we love you. We don't know your story, but we love you, and we know that he is writing a new story over you right now. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Okay, more coming. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Now, all right, that's great. Let's move on really quickly. Okay, right now, right now. If your past is broken, but you want your future written with hope, if you know what it's like to carry seven demons or be pointed out and pushed out like Mary was, if you know what it's like to live in cynicism and doubt like Thomas and you're tired and you don't want it anymore, if you have made promises and they've been broken, if you have hoped for the best, but you keep failing just like Peter, if that's you and you wanna come back to Jesus and you wanna say here and now today, Today, I put a stake in the ground and I say, I'm coming back to Jesus and all these doubts and things. That was my story, but that's not my future. If that's you, put your hand up right now. Don't even look around. Straight up. Nice and high. All over the room. Don't, don't be shy. I'm not going to take a long time with this. Right up. Right up if that's you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You're so brave to do this. If doubt was your story, if brokenness was your story, if today you want to stop your doubting and believe, if today you want to get rid of the betrayals and the broken promises and say, I need breakfast with Jesus too, if that's you, hands right up right now. 
Okay, again, I'm gonna ask you to be real brave. Get somebody to go with you if you want to. I'm gonna ask you to just right now, step right out and head right over there. There's some guys that are gonna pray with you real quick. Don't be shy. We're gonna cheer you because we love you. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, so many, so many. Come on, Jesus, do your thing. So good. So good. So good. Come on. So good. So good. Yeah, you can go this side too. Sorry, I'm messing up the prayer team. Keep coming. You see what happened there? You see what happened there? When somebody was brave enough to step out, a bunch of other people went, I can do that too. And here's what for the rest of us, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to commission you. Beth's going to come join me. We're going to commission you to go be the kind of people that rip open roofs if you have to to get others to hope. Who wants that? Who wants to see your school transformed by the love of Jesus? Who wants to see your businesses transformed if you own a business? Who wants to see your story and your friend's story so transformed by the love of Jesus that your new normal is hope? That instead of spending our days trying to survive, we begin to be people who thrive carrying the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you long for that, let's just, we're going to do something. I know if it's a little too charismatic for you, it's okay. I understand. I'm a Baptist. I became an accidental person who put their hands in the air. Okay? All right? So if that's not your tradition or it's too weird, it's okay. The only reason we're putting our hands out is because it's like we're going, my hands are empty and I need you to fill them. So if that's you, let's just put our hands out like this together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, goodness gracious. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we are a bunch of people with empty hands. We have so little to offer. But we put out our hands and we say now, fill us with your Holy Spirit again for the work of the kingdom, for the story of hope. God, help us to see those who need to be taken to the roof and lowered down to Jesus. Give us the courage to rip open the roofs if we have to, to lead them to hope. We want to live lives that this nation has never seen before so the streets resound with the sound of hallelujah. And just right where you are, maybe just begin to pray what you're feeling. Maybe pray something like, come and fill my hands with your authority. God, fill them. Fill them with compassion. Help us to have our hearts broken with the way that your heart is broken for others. Helps be people who love you, Jesus, and who love others with incredible authority. Now, if you know that that's for you, if you know you're responding to that, you know you want to be commissioned for that, step out right now and come right down to the front, quick as you can. Just come on. We're not, just don't look around. I know there's no music or anything. If you want to be commissioned to go out, step up. It's going to be chaos up here, and I know it. It's okay. But if that's you, come on. We're literally just going to commission you outwards. Just step out right where you are. Come right on down. How are we doing on time? We're running out of time. We got time to do it, though. Come on. Come on, pile in quick. Pile in, pile up close. We don't want to build a bonfire this morning. We want to light a fire in hearts that goes out across the nation. We don't want one big fire. We want a thousand little fires that change the story of our nation's history and the story of our nation's future. I know it's crowded up here, but if you want to, if you can just press out in the aisles on the side, it's fine. Or stay where you are, it's fine. We're all going to get to respond together. Okay? Now, 
This morning, Beth came to me about her kind of response. And I want to tell you, 14 years ago in 2005, I did this for the first time. And it came to me during the, as we were doing the response. And this is before we all had flashlights on our phone. We all had like little tiny flip phones. You people don't even know what that's like. You don't even know what we went through. But I just had this idea of what would it look like to see the King's Hall filled with all these tiny little lights. And we all held up our phones together. And it was like in that, that crazy darkness, the King's Hall was completely black. And as we all held up these little lights, these little phones together, we realized that actually when we gathered together, it was this mighty light, but it was that tiny light that we carried out that began to push back the darkness in our schools and in our businesses and in our hearts and, and, and in our families and in our workplaces and in our after-school jobs and in our clubs and all of that kind of stuff. And something began, and there was like a first wave of what God began to do and God had been doing, and you're the next wave, and you're the wave that gets to take us into the new future. All right, hear me out. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. I'm not saying that kind of stuff. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a new future available, a new story that can be written over this great island of Ireland. And it's your story to write. How to change the world, part one, figure out who you are because of who he is. How to change the world, part two, you tell me as you go live it now in the power of the Holy Spirit. How to change the world, part two, is your story to write. Now, Beth, lead us into that response. Okay. This is one time in church you get to take out your phones. <laughs> Go ahead, take out your phones. You know, when Trey was talking earlier about uh, Peter and uh, Peter going, woe is me, I am an unclean man. There's another guy in the Bible that said that too. It was Isaiah. And Isaiah is commissioning that he said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And then the Lord says to him, no, I've made you holy. Let me cleanse your lips. I've made you holy. And Isaiah goes, here am I, send me. The Lord goes, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, Jesus, we know, we know Jesus is the light of the world, right? And then Jesus says to his disciples, if you have your phones, go ahead and turn on your torches. Flashlights, as we like to say. Okay. Yeah. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, so raise, up, raise, up your, <laughs> raise up our lights. Wow. Oh, my wow. word. Keep them up. <laughs> As the band began to play, I'm going to read this again. Because we are called to be nothing but a burning light. That love that Jesus sparked within our hearts, that's what burns. That's what burns is Jesus. That's what burns within us. And you know what? We think of lights like bonfires and big beacon lights and lighthouses and big spotlights like we see in here. But actually, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be this. We're called to be this. We're called to be these thousands of teeny tiny lights that shine. Because you know what? This place is lit up. And we're called to see this land lit up. 
And all it requires is for you and me to let our light shine. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So God, we are going to let our light shine in an unashamed way. Lord, we put it on its stand. God, we let this light shine. Lord, that light that you've lit within our hearts. Jesus, would you shine through us. God, as we fix our eyes on you. Lord, we will be changed, transformed, and renewed by your glory. And Lord, with that glory, with that light, give light to the whole house. God, would we be this city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Holy Spirit, would you help us let our light shine. God, we love you. Lord, we are chosen, seen, and sent by you. And our heart's response today is, here am I, send me. So, so Madness, I love you. And I commission you now in the name of the Father, yeah. the Son, and the Holy Spirit to carry your light out of this tent back out into our streets yeah. where hope comes alive. Yes, I commission yes. you to carry the gospel of Jesus in word and in deed. Yes. I co commission you to love without thought of return. Yes. I commission you to serve. Yes. I commission you to rewrite a new story of yes. hope over this island, yes. the UK and the world in the name of Jesus. And I bless you in his loving heart and his name. Amen. God bless you, Summer Madness. God bless you. Now go. Lead us. Let's rock it out. Come on, you guys. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.